So the Bible says in 2 Samuel chapter 9, starting in verse 1, it says, And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. Touch your neighbor and say Mephibosheth. Now, how many of you got it right and didn't? We'll work on it. We're going to say it a few times. And he answered, behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage to him and said, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, all that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Mekah, and all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. Touch your neighbor and say, you made it. You made it through 13 verses this morning. I'm going to pray, and then y'all can take your seat. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. Would you open the scriptures to our hearts, Lord God? Would you let the seeds fall on fertile soil this morning as we dig into your word? In Jesus' mighty name, amen. You can take your seat. We made it through 13 scriptures. If you are a verse a day kind of person, you're good for two weeks. Just kidding. No, that's not going to work. I want to speak to you this morning from this thought, reservation confirmed. Now, I believe that everybody in the room this morning has a reservation, whether you're aware or not. And I want to use this text as a foundation to speak to our collective reservation and to speak to our personal reservations. So Mephibosheth was a man who had a reservation. And to understand his reservation and where it may have possibly come from, you have to know a little bit about him. So Mephibosheth is the grandson of the former king of Israel, Saul. And so that might sound like a cool thing to you. It might sound like, hey man, I may not be royalty, but I once was a royalty. I get my Prince Charles, my Prince Harry on, right? But in that time, 
as David opens up and he says, is there anyone left in the house of Saul actually wasn't that great of a thing. Because if you know the culture of that time, David was not the first such king to ask the question if there's anybody else left in the house of the former king. This was actually common practice at the time. But the implication was not of the Cinderella type of story that we see here happening with Mephibosheth. It's actually not one of good news at all. See, the former kings would usually ask when they assumed the throne if there was anyone left of the former house so that they could find them and they could eradicate them. They would kill everybody that was tied to that house to quell any possible claim to their future throne. So for Mephibosheth, it's not such a great thing to be tied to a former king. And I think that he was very aware of his situation and very aware that if the new king was to potentially find him, it could mean very bad news for him. So when we find Mephibosheth in 2 Samuel chapter 9, I believe he's actually in hiding. And there's a couple indications to that. The first one is that David sends out a general question to his court. Is there anyone left in the house of Saul? And then there's crickets. Nobody answers. But he finds one specific servant who was a former servant in the house of the former king. And his name is Ziba. And he calls him to himself and he says, are you Ziba? And he says, I am your servant. And he says, is there anyone left in the house of Saul? The fact that David had to go to a very specific person to ask a very specific question is a good indication that Mephibosheth really did not want to be found by anybody. He wanted to be kept in hiding, and I believe it was for fear of what could potentially happen to him. Another indication that Mephibosheth was likely in hiding was the fact that when David asked the question, Mephibosheth's actually a little hesitant to say his name. He identifies him simply as a son of Jonathan and someone who was crippled in his feet. And some commentary suggests that him mentioning that he was crippled in his feet was trying and attempting to solicit some sympathy from David towards this man. Because everybody knew that it was common practice for people like Mephibosheth, who was, the son, who was the grandson of Saul, the son of Jonathan, the firstborn, who could potentially claim the throne, to find a person just like him and to kill him. But I imagine the scenario unfolding like this. Mephibosheth is deep in hiding, and all of a sudden, there comes a knock at the door. Mephibosheth is in his room, in secret, tucked away, and he hears the knock. And I imagine that him looking and peering through the cracks of his door, he can start to see the servants of the house beginning to scurry. And he knows that something's up. But he thinks to himself, there's no possible way that this could be about me. Nobody even knows that I'm here. And after some time, Makir comes to his door and he knocks and he says, Mephibosheth, the king's men are at the door and they're here for you. Now that wouldn't be good news for him. It wouldn't signal to him that he was about to go from rags to riches. What it would more than likely say to Mephibosheth was this is probably my last day here on earth. 
I think some of us in the room this morning, just like Mephibosheth, he missed the context of the call. He didn't understand that on the other side of that was not an invitation to death, but an invitation to a life more abundant. He was more willing to live in poverty and in hiding than he was to potentially come up out of his hole and claim what would be his. So one potential source for his reservation could be his fear about other people. I even think about the fact that Ziba didn't actually mention his name. He mentioned two negative, potentially negative things. One was that he was a son of, a son of Jonathan, and one was that he was crippled in both of his feet. The negative attachment to Jonathan was, again, it put him in line to be the next on the throne. David could have seen him as a threat. The other thing was that he was crippled in both of his feet. I was almost frustrated when I read that because I was like, how, how messed up is that that you only call him by his issue? So many people in this room, we are used to only being called by our issues. We're used to only being called by the negative things about us. And we so often are neglected the affirmation that we desire and that we need as human beings. Another possible source of Mephibosheth's reservation was that he was crippled. He was a Saul. He was a, a grandson of Saul. So now if you know anything about Saul, you understand that, again, he was the former king of Israel. But he was not so great a former king of Israel. Saul was picked because he was a man of great stature. He was tall. He was good looking. He came from a powerful family. And while he was a man of great stature, he actually was a man of low character. And I want to caution anybody in the room this morning that has high stature and low character. Eventually, the low character catches up to the high stature and it leads to a great fall. So, Saul is this man who's positioned as the first king of Israel, but he lacks integrity, he's dishonest, and he's disobedient. And I believe that Mephibosheth could have had shame over who he was attached to. The other thing about him being crippled in both of his feet was that it doesn't take much of imagination to think about what the situation would be like for someone like Mephibosheth in that time. There were no wheelchairs. There was no ADA. You're a person that is doomed to probably crawl around on the ground. And oftentimes when you were a person in that situation who was attached to royalty, you were often hidden because it wasn't seen as a thing that you would want to expose that you had someone within your line who was in that condition. And this could very well have been what potentially led to his poverty. See, when we find Mephibosheth, he's actually living in the house of another man, which was not common. People did not couch surf back then. Mephibosheth is living in the house of another man, which highly suggests that he probably was very impoverished. What I find even more sad about his situation, but yet extremely relatable, is the fact 
that the genesis of his reservations didn't actually come from him. They came from other people. Being attached to Saul, the former shamed king of Israel, having a name that wasn't so great and that everybody knew about it. Have you ever felt that way? That everybody knew what was wrong with your family and you have to be the person that wears that name on your back? And this led to ultimately his issue with his feet. When news of Saul and his son Jonathan, who was Mephibosheth's father, dying, the nurse that was caring for Mephibosheth got up and was fleeing. If you look up 2 Samuel 4, 4, it says this. It says, Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news came about Saul and Jonathan from Jezreel. His nurse took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame in both feet. I wonder if Mephibosheth ever played the what if game. I wonder if he ever sat down and thought, man, what if Saul was better? What if my grandfather had character? I would still be royalty. And never mind that. What if my nurse had just held on to me a little bit tighter? What if she was a little bit more cautious? I wouldn't be in this situation. I could still get up. I could run. I could till the ground. I could care for myself. I imagine that he was a man who was consumed with both shame and anger. But I want to relate this back to us this morning. Maybe you have a reservation about others. Maybe you've been stabbed in the back by best friends or so-called. Maybe you've been cheated on by someone that you stood at the altar and said, I do to. Maybe you've been abandoned. Maybe you've felt unseen and undervalued. Or maybe you have issues with yourself. Maybe you think, man, I'm too short. I'm too fat. I'm too skinny. I'm too tall. I'm not good looking enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not talented enough. And maybe you come from a family like Mephibosheth's. There is a rarefied sting that is attached to having a bad family name. Or maybe like Mephibosheth whose nurse dropped him, there were people in your life who were supposed to care for you and they dropped you. You had a mother or a father who walked out on you, dropped. You had a pastor who abused you, who didn't take care for you, dropped. You had friends who never showed up for you, dropped. You had family who disowned you, dropped. And all of these issues have left you feeling like you're unable to move, like you're incapable of getting up and being productive in the society where everything is moving so fast. I wonder if any of us in the room or if Mephibosheth ever felt left behind. See, when we find Mephibosheth, he's in this place called Lodabar. And anybody who's an avid Bible reader, you understand that the Old Testament very often includes locations not for geographical 
understanding. But there are often messages hidden in geographic locations. This place, Lodabar, literally translates to something like nothing. I wonder if Mephibosheth, who is hiding, wounded from other people, shamed from other people, insecure about his own condition, is hiding away in a room of someone else's house, feeling left behind in the midst of nothing. I wonder this morning if any of us feel left behind in the midst of nothing. But there is such good news about that concept of being left in nothing. Because we serve a God who spoke into nothing. We serve a God who came to nothing and spoke and created. See, we have reservations in this room today that could possibly be spawned from others, could possibly be spawned from our own insecurities. But there's something that's so crucial to understand in this story and in the room today that our reservations about ourselves, our reservations about others, they are not greater than the reservation to the king's table. That we have a reservation that goes above and beyond any personal reservations, any external reservations. We have a reservation that supersedes all of that that was secured at the table of the king on the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago that was sealed by his death and his resurrection. We have a reservation to sit at the king's table that never goes void. See, Mephibosheth's reservation led him to shame, anger, and hiding. But the king's reservation led him to the table. Our reservations, your reservation, my reservation, it is a reservation that leads to a table of shame, anger, and hiding. But the reservation that our King Jesus offers us it leads to so much more. And I wanna talk about the importance of the table. I wanna talk about what's awaiting you at the table this morning. See, when David invited Mephibosheth, he thought that it was an invitation into death, but there was so much more waiting for him at the table. The first thing he tells Mephibosheth is he says, don't be afraid for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of Jonathan, your father. The word there is hesed. This word is not an ordinary love like the love you or I throw around so commonly. We cheapen the word of love by telling strangers we love them, telling people we just met that we love them, even strangers that you pass here in church, you say, love you, bro. But if any one of them called for a five o'clock, 5 a.m. ride to DFW, you would not pick up the phone, right? We know this kind of love that we throw around that we say, bro, I love you, I love that guy. Don't you love that person? But if that person lived on a third story apartment with no elevator, your phone does not work. You do not answer that call. But the type of love 
that David was offering to Mephibosheth was hesed. And he even goes further to say the loving kindness of God takes it up an entire step. And this type of love that he was offering to Mephibosheth, it's an actionary love. It is a love that is founded and based in action. David wasn't simply saying, if you come to my table, bro, I love you. You sit at my table, I love you. No, what he was saying is if you sit at my table, my love will act on your behalf. My love will move when you move. My love will support when you need support. My love will provide when you need provision. The love that he was promising to Mephibosheth was a love of action. David was also offering him restoration. He says, I will restore to you the land of Saul, your father. And you and your son's servants, he's talking to Ziba now, he says, you will till the land and you shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. See, here's the thing that you have to understand. The land that he's restoring back to Mephibosheth, it was always his. They were ancestral lands that were actually owned by Saul, his father, and so they were owed to Mephibosheth either way. Mephibosheth in hiding, in fear, whatever it was, was so in a low station that he wasn't even willing to claim what was his. And I think so many of us in the room when we come this morning We don't understand that the invitation to the table is not just for us, that the restoration that God offers is not just for us. If you look closely at the text, he says, you will till the land so that your master has produce, but as for your master's grandson, he will eat at my table. If Mephibosheth is sitting at the king's table, who's eating the produce? His house. The people that would come after him. And I think so many of us, when we deny the invitation to the table of the king, we don't understand that what we're denying is not just a restoration that is due to us. It is a restoration that affects generations and generations. It is a restoration that is not only for me today, but it is for my children and my children's children. The restorative quality of God is not limited to one generation. The restorative quality of God goes far beyond the ages. And finally, the last thing that David offers him is relationship. He says in verse 7, you shall eat at my table always. And in verse 11, it goes on further to say, so Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. A former enemy of the king, someone who could have been seen as a rival, someone who was lost and alone, living in a place called nothing and nowhere, who had such a low opinion of himself, he calls himself a dead dog. And as bad as that sounds right now, the whole dead dog thing, it is not as bad as it was back then. Many of us, we will see animals, we'll see dogs that have been hit by cars or something, and it evokes an emotion of sympathy, like, dang, man, that's a dog. That's somebody's dog. But back in that time, dogs were not man's best friends. They were seen as pests. They were essentially likened to rats. 
And I don't know about you, but unless you're part of PETA, you don't pass by a giant subway rat and go, man, that stinks, that's somebody's rat. You just think, ew, it's a rodent. It's a pest, it's to be done away with. So the fact that Mephibosheth calls himself a dead dog, unnecessarily, mind you, he had already subjugated himself to David. He threw himself on his face and he said, I'm your servant. There was no more need for him to lower himself. And I think that's why it's such a good indication of how Mephibosheth viewed himself as a dead dog, something unworthy of sympathy, something unworthy of care and love. So David offers this relationship to someone who is by all accounts an orphan, left behind, hidden in darkness, ostracized from his community because of his condition. And he says, I will let you sit at my table like one of my sons. And I think how many of us in this room, we walk around feeling alone. We walk around desiring for family. We walk around hoping for love to come and knock on our door one day. But there is a standing reservation at the table of the king that can meet every single one of your needs. See, we've, we've talked about two different types of reservations this morning. We've talked about the type of reservation that actually will keep you from the seat. And we've talked about a type of reservation that will hold the seat for you. But neither one of those reservations can do this. Neither one can make you sit in the seat. You have to sit in the seat. The way this message came about, I was driving with my daughter, and when we talk about people who are lame in their feet, I'm not unfamiliar to that story. But many of you don't know that my oldest daughter was actually born with a rare condition, and one of the side effects of that condition was that she was born with club feet. So she's had surgeries to correct it. So when you tell a story about something that encompasses your, your whole situation, it definitely hits differently. And my daughter and I, we've had conversations and how often she said, man, I just wanna be like everybody else, dad. And I think about Mephibosheth and him not any, having anyone to talk to, having no father to sit with across from the table and say, dad, I just wanna be like everybody else. Dad, I wish I could run like everybody else could run. Dad, I wish I could play like everybody else could play. Dad, I wish I could till the field. But not being able to do those things because of his condition. So I was driving home with my daughter, and again, we talk often about how she feels. And I asked her, have you ever heard the story of Mephibosheth? And she said, no, so I told her about it. And I'm a dad and I love my daughter and, and I identify with her, with her pain. And so by the end of me telling her this story, I'm crying. And she says, dad, don't cry because of me. And I said, baby girl, I'm not crying because of you. And she said, then why are you crying? And I said, because of the goodness of God. I said, there's something you have to understand about Mephibosheth 
Mephibosheth could do nothing for David. He couldn't add anything to him. He couldn't take away anything from him. He had no special skill. He had nothing that he could bring to the king's table. There was a king that sought him out. And if you look in the text, you understand that this invitation didn't come from Mephibosheth or for Mephibosheth. It benefited Mephibosheth, but it was actually for someone else. See, David had a best friend and his name was Jonathan. And Jonathan had put his life on the line for David. And so David makes a promise to Jonathan. Jonathan says, as long as I live, but even if I don't make it, please don't ever let your loving kindness be cut off from my house. And I said, baby girl, I am crying because of the goodness of God, because there's something that you have to know about the table of the king. There's something that you have to know about Mephibosheth's story that can change your outlook on how you view yourself. Because Mephibosheth's seat at the table, it didn't come from his perfection, it didn't come from his skill, it didn't come what he could offer, it, it came because of a promise to his father. That's what reserved his place at the table. And this morning, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're feeling about yourself. I don't know how you view yourself. I don't know how afraid you are of other people in the room. But your seat at this table did not come because of who you are, what you could bring, or any skill that you have. Your seat at the table is reserved by the fact that your father made a promise to himself and he said, they will be my people and I will be their God. Your seat at the table this morning is secure. There's an interesting fact about the difference between a king's table and a regular table. See, back in that time, a table was essentially just a leather mat that you would lay on the ground and you would put your food on it and you would come around and eat. But the king's table was elevated. There's something so powerful about an invitation to the king's table for someone like Mephibosheth and people like us today is that when I sit at the elevated table of the king, I am on equal ground with every single person sitting at the table with me. And whatever issue that I have that's underneath the table, you can no longer see it because my issue is covered by the table of grace because what my issue is no longer matters when I'm sitting even with every other person that needs the grace of God the same way that I do. Your issue is covered at the table. What you are afraid of in other people, what they might say, what they might do, your issue about yourself, they're confirmed reservations. They're real. I'm not here this morning to spiritually gaslight you. I'm not here to tell you that everything in this house is perfect. I'm not here to tell you that every single person that you encounter will be true and genuine and honest. The fears that you have about others are real. 
the, the insecurities that you have about yourself that cause you to have a reservation, they're confirmed, they're real. But at the table of king, they don't matter. They are covered by his blood. They are covered by his grace. The beautiful thing about this story, the capstone of this whole story for me is this last verse, verse 13. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem for he ate always at the king's table. Now his feet, now he was lame in both his feet. Mephibosheth's condition never changed. If you're sitting in this room this morning, you're telling, I need to get my issue together before I come to God. I need to get myself right before I ever approach God. I'm not living right now, right now. my heart is not right, my mind is not right, my relationships aren't right. If you are disqualifying yourself from the table, I wanna point you back to that last sentence. He ate always at the table of the king and he was still lame in both feet. Stand to your feet with me, if you will. There's something very powerful about this story that I was reading. Mephibosheth's name is mentioned like seven or nine times throughout the story. But there's only one time that anyone speaks Mephibosheth's name to directly address him. He comes and he throws himself at David's feet. He lowers himself in an act of submission. And David says this, he says Mephibosheth, and if you look at it in the scripture, there's an exclamation point. He said, Mephibosheth. There is a meaning in his name, Mephibosheth, that means dispeller of shame or it means end of shame. And I think, and I believe in my heart that what David was doing right then was not just calling Mephibosheth. I think that he was proclaiming over Mephibosheth the end of shame is today. Your shame ends today. And I wanna declare the same thing over you this morning. Whatever condition that you walked in today, I boldly declare and decree it is the end of shame today for you. Today the invitation at the table of King has come forth and the end of your shame has been signaled by the fact that you have an opportunity to sit in that seat. There is so much waiting for us at the table, but we have to sit in it. And I believe that God is going to do a powerful work just with you and him at this time. Your reservation at his table is between you and him. And I believe that there are varying degrees of people needing to come to the table. I believe for some people, it's a community issue. It's the relationship aspect. 
It's understanding that there are people that are all around you, that if you were to look to your left and the right, though you couldn't see it on their face, they're going through what you're going through. And they can come alongside you and they can lift you up and they can offer you a said type of love that says, man, where you go, I will go. What you do, I'm gonna do with you. If you're down, I'm gonna be down with you and I'm gonna do my best to lift you back up. For some people, it's coming to the table understanding that there is a good deal of restoration that God has for you. You've been holding on to your issue and saying, this is just me. And God's saying, no, 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 I have restoration that is gonna come and restore to you everything that has ever been owed for you and your family. See, ours is an inheritance. Ours is an inheritance of love, peace, hope, joy and there's an inheritance that you need not just for yourself but for your family too and God's saying come to my table and take part in that restoration and for some of us in the room coming to the table just means coming to Jesus for the first time ever it means coming back to him after a long time away It means understanding that your seat was always saved, that whether you knew it or not, that there was a place that was reserved for you with your name on it, and that you don't have to be afraid, you don't have to be qualified, you don't have to have gifting, you don't even have to have an offering, but there is a seat with your name on it regardless because of what Jesus did for you. There's this final thing that I wanna offer And I hope that it brings some clarity. I hope that it brings some peace. And I hope that it motivates you to move on this reservation. And I'm not saying that this is exactly what it reads. I'm offering you a supposition. Could it be that Mephibosheth's condition preserved him until the time of his reservation. See, in my mind, I know that Mephibosheth was so afraid of what could potentially happen to him. If he had the full functionality of his feet, I think he would have ran and I think he would have kept on running. There's no potential to how far that he could have run. But I think in the state of his condition, I think he was limited to only go so far only to go far enough to where that the king could find him. This morning, whatever you've been through, whatever your heartbreak is, whatever your heartache is, whatever your fear is, I believe that for Mephibosheth, this was the word coming true that says that he turns all things for our good. And I think that this morning, Whether in brokenness you came, whether in heartbreak you came, whether in fear you came, whatever it is, I believe that the Lord used that to draw you to the table this morning. Our worship team is gonna come. They're gonna sing over us. Our prayer teams are gonna come to the front. And I believe that these people, these brothers and sisters in Christ that are gonna line the front up here for them, 
I believe that some of you, this is the representation of the table. And you need to come here and you need to answer it and you need to pray with them and you need to let them cry with you. And for others, I believe that God just wants to speak to your heart. I believe that he already is and that he already has. And that he's begun to give you direction on how you should take your seat at the table. Bow your heads and pray with me. Father, I thank you so much for every single person in this, in this room this morning, Lord God, and how you are moving upon their hearts, Lord God. How you are touching them, Lord God, how you are speaking to them, how you're directing them to the table of grace this morning. I pray for strength, God, I pray for clarity. I pray, Lord God, that we could drop our chains this morning, that we could drop our fears, that we could drop our reservations and come to your table, that we could see the fullness of life that you have for us. In Jesus' mighty name. And I wanna give everyone in the room an invitation for those of you who you've heard this whole message and you've never said yes to Jesus. This is your moment and this was divinely crafted for you. This is an Old Testament that story that happened centuries ago. And yet it was spoken today, it was written down for a time such as this, that you would walk in this door into this place and that you would hear the story of a great king who sought out someone who was hiding in nothing and saw so much value in a promise that was made that he would elevate them out of darkness and to his table. For anybody in the room, if everyone would bow their heads, if you've never said yes to Jesus, if you've never come to the table before, I wanna invite you just to raise your hand. Nobody's looking around, you have your moment of privacy, but this is such an opportunity for you to step to the table, to begin your relationship with Jesus and to change not only your life, but the life of everyone that will come after you. We're gonna pray this prayer together for every single person that's responded to that. Pray with me, Father. Come on, everybody together, Father. I put my hands in your life. I'm coming to the table this morning. I'm coming to grace this morning. I put my faith in your finished work on the cross. I'm no longer trusting my reservations, but I'm trusting your reservation. You have a place for me. If it was not so, Today and always, Jesus, I place my life in your hands. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, come on, everybody said.